Today on My Climate Journey's startup series, our guest is Andy Moon, CEO and co-founder of Reunion. And we're talking about clean energy tax credits. You may not have woken up this morning appreciating the importance of tax credits, but they are a powerful lever in how clean energy projects get financed. And the Inflation Reduction Act turbocharged tax credits in two ways. One, it expanded tax credits across multiple project types, including, of course, solar and wind, but also battery storage, biogas, hydrogen, and carbon sequestration, among others, which in theory should increase the surface area of tax credit opportunities. And two, it enabled the transferability of tax credits, which in theory should increase the depth of capital that can be put to work to help these projects get financed. Indeed, Andy and Reunion believe that the universe of dollars in the U.S. that are subject to clean energy tax credits is around $20 billion per year today and could expand to $75 to $80 billion per year within the next five years. Andy's company, Reunion, is a marketplace for clean energy tax credits, connecting buyers and sellers and helping to facilitate the purchase and sale of transferable tax credits to support solar, wind, battery, biogas, and other clean energy projects. Andy's got a long history in the space, having worked in clean energy product development and project finance at Sun Edison starting in 2009, and then founding Sun Farmer in 2014. He traces this history during our conversation, and then we spend most of the time talking about how tax credits work and how he expects transferability to support market expansion of clean energy financing. But before we start, I'm Cody Sims. I'm Yin Lu. And I'm Jason Jacobs. And welcome to My Climate Journey. This show is a growing body of knowledge focused on climate change and potential solutions. In this podcast, we traverse disciplines, industries, and opinions to better understand and make sense of the formidable problem of climate change and all the ways people like you and I can help. Andy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Cody, for having me. Really excited to be here. Well, Andy, I am excited to dive into the probably underappreciated and might not sound exciting, but I think kind of exciting world of renewable energy tax credits. Yeah, who would have thought that tax credits were such a hot topic these days, but we're, we're really enjoying it. I love it. Well, why don't we start with you explaining a little bit about your background and how you came to be one of the world's foremost experts on renewable energy tax credits? Yeah, sure thing. So I'm co-founder and CEO of Reunion, and we're a marketplace for financing clean energy projects through the sale of tax credits. Tax credits have always been a very large part of how solar, wind, and other clean energy technologies have been financed. And the big change here is that with the Inflation Reduction Act, those tax credits have gotten much larger, and now they're much easier for clean energy developers to use because they can now freely sell the tax credit to any third party. So it's a big deal. Every solar, biogas, battery conference we go to, everybody wants to talk about how do they sell their tax credits. And how did you become the guy to have that conversation? So my co-founder, Billy Lee, and I met 15 years ago, actually, working at Sun Edison. Billy Lee was head of project finance and tax equity and, in fact, structured many of the initial tax equity transactions with large banks, such as JP Morgan and Bank of America. 
And I was leading a finance team. I joined in 2008. So there wasn't much financing to go around then. So my job was to run around and convince investors that had never considered solar before to invest their dollars into solar. And we were successful in convincing the first major US private equity firm to invest a billion dollars in a portfolio of US and European solar projects. We also did the first tax-exempt bond financing, where we had to create bond documents from scratch. And we also convinced a lot of other first-time investors, such as European infrastructure funds and others, to invest in solar. So we have a lot of experience bringing new financial products for clean energy and really convincing new investors to come to the table. And that's what this is. Clean energy tax credits or the sale of tax credits are a completely new product and one that will require a lot of education and a lot of handholding to um, come across the finish line. And then you and Billy sort of went off in your separate ways, still working, you know, in the industry for a little while. And then it looks like kind of came back together, I assume, around the time of the Inflation Reduction Act, making this new transferability of these tax credits a reality. Maybe share a little bit about the work you've done for the last decade or so before deciding to start Reunion. Yeah, for sure. So while I was at Sun Edison, I was also volunteering with a nonprofit that was actually running a large hospital and dozens of health clinics in Nepal. And they approached me and said, look, one of our biggest problems is actually electricity. In Nepal and the rural areas, there's no access to an electric grid. And so hospitals and health clinics are often powered by diesel energy, which is expensive. It's unreliable. And you can imagine if you don't have consistent electricity, it's, it's very hard to treat patients or do operations at a hospital. So while at Sun Edison, I helped install a small three kilowatt solar system at the hospital and just realized how transformative even three kilowatts was. So I went off and started Sun Farmer, which we've now done 1500 plus solar installations across South Asia, health clinics, farms, manufacturing, et cetera. And so I ran that as founder CEO for about five years. We went through Y Combinator and went through the whole startup journey from start to finish. And then for the last few years, you know, I did some early stage investing and I worked at a Series B climate tech company. And Billy and I came back together because we wanted to start another company. All right. So before we get into what Reunion is and does, let's set the landscape by describing what some of these tax credits are. As I understand it, there are kind of two main buckets, maybe there are more, but two main buckets of tax credits. There are investment tax credits and there are production tax credits. And I have now hit the limit of my understanding on tax credits. So I'll hand the, the mic back to you. Sure. So let me start with the investment tax credit. So historically, if you're a clean energy developer, see a solar developer, and you're developing a $100 million solar project, you would get an investment tax credit that was worth 26 to 30% of that capital cost. So the tax credit would be worth 26 to $30 million. Typically, a solar developer doesn't have $30 million of tax liability in order to take advantage of that tax credit. So the tax credit, just so I understand, and it's just, I assume the same as when you're doing your personal taxes, tax credits are really only valuable if you have that amount of taxable liability that you need to offset on your tax return as a corporation. That's right. So $1 of tax credit will offset $1 of federal tax liability. And so historically, in order to take advantage of that tax credit, you had to actually own the solar energy project. And so what that created is this cottage industry called tax equity, where a project developer would then have to partner with a large bank. And tax equity investors are primarily large banks. JP Morgan and Bank of America account for more than 50% of the tax equity market. And probably you know the top 10 tax equity investors, which are all large banks, account for probably 80 to 90% of the market. And essentially what would happen is 
the clean energy developer would have to partner, enter into a legal partnership with a large bank to co-own the project. And there's a very complicated sort of structure uh, whereby the tax equity investor is allocated 99% of the tax benefits and the cash for the first five years of the transaction. And then it flips to the project developer afterwards. Let me take a step back before we get into the nuance of the challenge there. But so what I understood was the solar developer themselves as the originator of the project would be the group that would earn the tax credit. It wouldn't necessarily be the corporation that was buying the solar panels or the utility that was building a grid scale solar farm. Both of those would presumably have lots of tax liability on their books already, but it was actually this development company that is primarily a financial services firm, which doesn't necessarily have a heavy expense line to their business. Am I understanding that correctly? That's correct. The solar developer will be the owner of the project, but in order to take advantage of the tax benefits, they would co-own the project or enter a partnership with a tax equity partner that could then take the tax benefits for the project. And those tax equity partners would tend to look like, you said, major banks? That's right. The majority of tax equity historically has been uh, large banks and financial institutions. You can imagine setting up this structure is very complex from a legal, from an accounting, from a due diligence standpoint. As a co-owner of the project, the tax equity investor, they're taking real risk on the project. They're taking an equity position in the project. So they have the diligence. Will the sun shine? How much production will there be? What will this look like? And as a result, the cost of setting up a tax equity partnership can be a million dollars or could be, could be more than that. So let me back you up before we get into the nuances of the sort of how transferability used to work and just make sure I understand it. So the organization that would typically be earning the tax credit today would be the solar project developer. But these solar project developers are needing some form of organization that has lots of cash profit and lots of tax liability to essentially partner with them so that this credit could actually be properly used to offset the cost of something. Is that an accurate way to think about it? That's right. Yeah, that makes sense. And so then, and then these investment tax credits are specifically directly related to, I guess it's a, a flat percentage tax credit on the total cost of the project. Is that right? That's correct. So historically, it's been 26 to 30% of the cost of the project. But with the Inflation Reduction Act, the percentage could reach 30, 40, 50, 60, or even 70% of the, of the cost of the project. There are these things called adder credits I was maybe reading about. That's right. So on top of the base 30% credit, there are adders if the project uses domestic content, if it's located in what's called an energy community, where previously there was fossil fuel infrastructure. And if it's located in a low-income area, then those are all reasons to add additional tax credits to the, to the project. And then there's another bucket of credits. And it sounds like it's an either or. You can either take this investment tax credit or you can take a production credit on your project. If that's true, what is a production tax credit? Yeah. So the production tax credit is actually based on a 10-year production of electricity that's coming off of the facility. And so with the production tax credit, you would get a fixed tax credit amount for each kilowatt hour of electricity that's generated by the facility. And so how does a developer tend to choose which of these two pathways to go down? It's a great question. And one that the market is, I think, still sorting out. I think that when there's very high production levels, it's very sunny. For example, in the Southeast, there could be a reason to sort of go for the production tax credit. 
Now that said, if you have a lot of adders, so for example, if you have the energy community adder, it can be more advantageous to go for the investment tax credit because it's a nuance of the legislation, but it sort of adds more economic benefit on the ITC side versus the PTC side. And that's presumably attempting to get more renewable energy projects built and developed in, I think you said, lower income neighborhoods, in areas that maybe have more energy poverty, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. And for areas where they've been impacted by closures of coal plants or fossil fuel infrastructure. Okay, that's helpful. Are there any other sort of buckets of tax credits that we need to make sure to address? There are 11 types of tax credits that are eligible to be transferred. So there's actually, so not only did the Inflation Reduction Act increase the amount of the tax credit, it also opened up tax credits for many new technologies. Some of the nearest term examples are standalone battery storage never had an ITC. It always previously had to be attached to a solar installation. But now standalone battery storage, which is a rapidly growing sector of the clean energy economy, is eligible for tax credits. ITC meaning investment tax credit. uh, General investment tax credits, that's correct. Biogas is also eligible for tax credits. And you also have future technologies like hydrogen, advanced manufacturing, nuclear, CCS. These are all tax credits that are now eligible to be transferred directly to third parties. So we've talked a lot on the show about the expansions of 45Q and this $180 a ton for direct air capture or $80 a ton tax credit for point source capture these would also presumably be included in this bucket of transferability. Is that correct? That's right. Okay, so that's a helpful overview and definitely expanded what I even understood sort of the scope of these tax credits to be. You explained a little bit about how they used to work where you had to actually bundle in the financing partner at the project financing phase in order to take advantage of the tax credits. What does this transferability actually mean? Yeah, so in the previous incarnation of financing, the tax equity partner would have to enter into a legal partnership to be a co-owner of the project. And as I mentioned, that requires a lot of legal accounting, due diligence expense. It also presents complexities for the investor because they need project finance professionals to manage the portfolio. The accounting is quite complex, especially for publicly traded companies. So there's a lot of reasons why it has always been a very small pool of investors on the tax equity side. Congress's intent was really to broaden the pool of investors in clean energy by making virtually any corporation that has US tax liabilities can now be an investor in in clean energy projects. So I think that's a huge innovation where many more investors are expected to be involved in, in really helping spur this clean energy transition. A lot of the goal of transferability is to make that process simpler. The way it works is that a clean energy developer has to register their project under a pre registration portal provided by the IRS, which would provide them a pre registration number. And then the buyer and the seller both have to file a transfer election form with their tax return. That creates a transfer of the tax credit between the clean energy developer and the corporate buyer. How did this come about in the first place? Was there precedent for this in other industries or other forms of project development, et cetera? There are some forms of tax credits in other industries. So there's, of course, the low-income housing tax credit. There's historical tax credits, film credits. So there is some precedent for other types of tax credits that can be freely sold. I think what's exciting is that the scale and the size of this tax credit program under the IRA is just really large. It's really going to have a huge impact on clean energy development. And so you talked about who the pool of essentially recipients of these would be traditionally prior to the IRA. 
What do you expect to happen in terms of the pool of potential interested buyers of these tax credits going forward? What kinds of organizations are starting to look at this opportunity and what does that capital stack tend to look like? That's a great question. We are seeing a very diverse group of buyers coming to the table with interest. So in our world, we have manufacturing, specialty finance, retail, hospitality, insurance. These are all corporates that we're currently working with that are looking to purchase credits in 2023, so in the very near future. That said, there's a very long tail of buyers that have never looked at a tax credit or have never considered solar before and solar or wind before. And so there is a longer education process with many of the buyers where we have to explain what is a tax credit? What's the benefit? What are the risks? And that's expected. This is a completely new market and a new product that was open for business essentially as of June of this year. So there will be some time required to educate CFOs and tax teams on what this new opportunity is. And are they typically selling some form of discount to the actual credited amount? That's right. There has to be a discount to incentivize these tax credit buyers to come to the table. So maybe walk through what a sample transaction might look like. Yeah, for sure. So let's take our $100 million solar project that has an investment tax credit of call it $50 million. If you have a very well-capitalized and experienced solar developer that's building a fairly straightforward project without any sort of complexities on the... Just to make sure I understand, so you got a $100 million project, you got a $50 million tax credit. That means you're presumably taking the standard 30% investment tax credit, and then you have two, you found, you know, two 10% adders to add on to your project because you're developing it in an area that's maybe had its form of fossil fuel energy retired and it's in a low-income neighborhood, as an example. That's right. So say you have a $100 million solar energy project with $50 million worth of tax credits. And that's generated because you have the base 30% tax credit plus, uh, call it domestic content and energy community. So it's got $50 million worth of tax credits. Oh, wait, domestic content. We didn't go there yet. This is good. Domestic content means the solar panels were manufactured in the USA? That's right. The equipment was manufactured in the United States. And so let's assume we have a $50 million tax credit. The way the transaction would work is that the developer puts this project on, say, a platform like Reunion, and we have a pool of buyers that we would that we would take the projects to. Let me share kind of what the market price is for a project like this. So assuming that the developer is an experienced and well-capitalized development company, and assume the project is fairly straightforward. It doesn't have complexities such as lots of project-level debt or other things like that. That would typically trade at a 7 to 8% discount to the buyer. And 7 to 8% discount to the buyer means that for $1 of tax credits, they would pay, call it 92 or 93 cents. It's important to note two things. One is that that discount for the buyer is not taxed. So whereas a different investment might, they have to pay taxes on it, they don't have to pay taxes on that return. And second, they can use that tax credit or the intention to buy the tax credit to offset their quarterly tax payments. If you think about it from a time value of money perspective, the return is actually much greater than 8% because they can sort of be getting their cash savings earlier in the year. Hey everyone, I'm Yin, a partner at MCJ Collective, here to take a quick minute to tell you about our MCJ membership community, which was born out of a collective thirst for peer-to-peer learning and doing that goes beyond just listening to the podcast. We started in 2019 and have grown to thousands of members globally. Each week, we're inspired by people who join with different backgrounds and points of view. What we all share is a deep curiosity to learn and a bias to action around ways to accelerate solutions to climate change. Some awesome initiatives have come out of the community. A number of founding teams have met, 
several nonprofits have been established, and a bunch of hiring has been done. Many early-stage investments have been made, as well as ongoing events and programming, like monthly women in climate meetups, idea jam sessions for early-stage founders, climate book club, art workshops, and more. Whether you've been in the climate space for a while or just embarking on your journey, having a community to support you is important. If you want to learn more, head over to mcjcollective.com and click on the Members tab at the top. Thanks, and enjoy the rest of the show. And so then they're making a decision, obviously, of am I just using excess cash on my balance sheet to buy these credits, or am I going to go figure out if I can pull my own financing for these? And I mean, it's a bad interest rate environment right now, so maybe less interested in that. But you know, can I do the math such that even if I go pull financing for this, it still gets me with a near-term positive ROI on the tax credit because I can apply it to this quarter's taxes? Yeah. So being able to apply it to earlier quarter tax payments just adds to the return if that's how the buyer thinks about it. And how big of a market is this today? Like roughly how many dollars worth of tax credits are being generated now? And with this new transferability, do you have any sense of how much expansion of that you see coming over the next five, 10 years? Yeah. So there's been a lot of analysis from third parties on how big this market will grow. The volume of tax credits being generated is expected to reach 50 billion by the end of 2024. And that's mainly solar, wind, and battery storage. And once you add all these new technologies like manufacturing and hydrogen, many observers are anticipating 80 to $100 billion a year of credits being generated annually by 2027. Now, tax equity will provide some financing for these projects, but the tax equity market is currently about $20 billion a year. And it's not expected to grow meaningfully larger than that, given that tax equity investors are constrained by how much tax liability they have to offset. The tax equity buying market, though, it sounds like is primarily constrained, to, at least historically, to these large banks. So you're sort of banking on a new market of buyers emerging and expanding that pool of buyers. Correct. And those new buyers will be needed to fill that gap between the $20 billion a year current tax equity market and the projected 80 to $100 billion a year of credits that will be generated and will need a home. What do you think they look like? In terms of how much of that will be transferred? No, in terms of what the profile of those buyers looks like. So I think it will be medium to large corporations, but eventually small corporations will get involved as well once they see that this is a product that works and is low risk. But the buyers that are coming to the table for us right now run the gamut. They're all over the map in terms of industry. So we have manufacturing, retail, hospitality, specialty finance. I would say that we have a bit of a bell curve where we have quite a few buyers that are interested in offsetting 30 to $50 million a year in tax liabilities. But we have a handful that are 200 million plus or 300 million plus. And then we have also a longer, sort of a longer tail of smaller buyers that are looking at offsetting 10, $15 million a year in liabilities. You know, historically, a corporation to offset their taxes would be doing things like creating a foundation, sending money to various 501c3 nonprofit opportunities, setting up corporate responsibility, uh, you know, arm to do all of that. This sounds like an alternate view of ways to do that. Are there, as these corporations have their own net zero or clean energy pledges and whatnot, are there benefits to them of investing in these types of projects in terms of what they're able to articulate in that regard toward meeting their own scope two emissions goals, et cetera? I think that there's a variety of motivations from the corporations on why they would do this. And I think a lot of it is being able to be innovative in terms of providing this financing for projects that otherwise may not get built. Because many projects that we're talking about here are things like 
commercial rooftop solar, which has long lacked easy access to financing. I do think that there is a, a strong story that investing in tax credits will help enable projects that often are not able to get financing otherwise. In terms of being able to offset scope to emissions, that usually does require RECs. And so there's a very small portion of these projects where RECs are available, but RECs are typically tied up with the power purchase agreement on the other side of the transaction. So, um, so often it can't be used directly for offsetting scope to emissions. But that said, we see a lot of large corporations invest in things like community solar, which also doesn't deliver RECs, but it's a great impact story for ESG reporting and MSCI applications and things like that to, to basically explain part of their sustainability efforts. So interestingly, presumably, you would start to have the buying organizations here be some internal conglomeration of a sustainability team, an energy procurement team, a tax team, a corporate finance team, kind of working together to determine that this is a good opportunity for their company. For sure. I think there's a lot of different champions within the organization that can really push this forward. Often the final decision maker is someone in the finance team because it does require some investment. But one thing that I will mention is that we have heard of a number of corporations that are very excited about using the cost savings that are generated by making tax credit investments to fund some of their ESG efforts. As I'm sure you're aware, RECs and VPPAs have gotten very expensive. And so for many ESG departments, it's been a struggle recently to pull the trigger on going into these arrangements that are going to cost real dollars. And so if you can actually make an investment in a tax credit and realize $10 million in savings, that's actually an important budget that could be used to enable ESG initiatives. That's a super compelling and interesting argument to say, you know, hey, your sustainability team may catch grief internally for being perceived as, rightly or wrongly, as a cost center. Here's a way to actually create a value back into the organization that can have direct dollars attached to it as well. That's right. And in this economic environment, I think there's a lot of interest in if you can do well and do good, that's the ultimate great story to be able to achieve that. On the counter argument side, what are the risks here for corporations or for any buyer, I guess? Is there a risk that if the project doesn't come to fulfillment or if it's a production tax credit doesn't deliver according to the modeled out sort of energy delivery that you're owning a tax credit that actually gets pulled away from you, gets clawed back by the IRS? What else should, would I be worried about if I bought one of these things and I had already filed my corporate taxes assuming that it was real? So it's important to note that buying a tax credit is an investment in a tax credit, and it's not a true equity investment in a project. So the set of risks are much narrower. For example, if the project underperforms a little bit because the sun's shown less or the project equipment didn't deliver quite as much as was promised, that should not affect the tax credit investor in any material way. And as a result, the set of diligence and set of risks is narrower than making a full investment. With production tax credits, if you're buying it in the current tax year, there's generally very little risk because there's no recapture and you're purchasing the credits after they've been generated. So in other words, when the credit is generated and they've calculated the number of kilowatt hours, you are getting the credit after that. The energy was validated to be generated and therefore there's not much risk that there's a recapture event. And as a result, those trade at a narrower discount. With the investment tax credit, there is a five-year recapture period during which the IRS could challenge the tax credit, either to say that you didn't properly validate that this project was turned on and you didn't properly calculate the cost basis of the project and therefore the tax credits were inflated, the value was inflated. 
So the IRS could challenge that and, and sort of come back. Secondly, if the project is abandoned or foreclosed on within five years, then that also could trigger a recapture. So the way we mitigate that risk is we have a standard way to diligence these projects. We can ensure that the project was placed into service because we'll always collect permission to operate letter from the utility that validates the project was constructed. We will always require a cost segregation study from a third-party accounting firm to really validate these pieces of costs are valid for calculating the amount of the tax credit. And furthermore, the project developer always has to sign a very comprehensive indemnity. So if there's any recapture by the IRS for any reason, the project developer is on the hook to compensate the buyer for that shortfall. Finally, if the seller is not able to compensate the buyer for any reason, there is also tax credit insurance available to backstop that risk. And that's a very mature market. Tax credit insurance has been around for for many years. It sounds like we've almost started to move into some of the value that you're trying to deliver with Reunion into this problem space, which is being the connective tissue between buyers and sellers and helping to create that sort of streamlined diligence process on both, I'm guessing, project discovery, and then, you know, all the way through sort of ultimately looking to transact a project. Is that the place where you're planning to play? Yeah, absolutely. I think that for buyers, it's very important to be able to navigate picking which project makes sense for them and to really ensure that there's a low risk transaction. And so a huge value that we add is we've talked to all the developers on our platform. We were able to identify risks and sort of put all that in a diligence package that's very clear for the buyer. And we can help them do things like place insurance and really ensure that their risk is fully mitigated. On the developer side, I think it's important for them to go through an intermediary like us because you can imagine if they go directly to a buyer, it's very hard to find the pool of buyers, identify them, and then negotiate the deal documents and the diligence and the insurance from scratch. And so you know, our aim is to really be a platform where this can be done in a very repeatable, streamlined way. Now, that said, you know, these are real transactions. And so I think that having a lot of experience doing these types of financings before is just really critical because it's not the type of transaction where you can just throw it on a website and expect the deal to get done. There's a lot of complexity still. And our mission is to really guide buyers and sellers through that process. We've had clean energy marketplaces on the pod before. The one that comes to my mind is Level 10 Energy. They're actually an MCJ portfolio company and sort of play this role in the connecting of buyers and sellers and sort of diligence around power purchase agreements in particular. How different do you think the process here is around tax credits relative to actually scoping out purchasing power? Yeah, it's a great question. We've always viewed power purchase agreements as fairly bespoke contracts. Like there's a lot of points to be negotiated in negotiating a power contract. And what drew us to the tax credit space is that we do feel that many elements of the diligence process can be standardized in some fashion. It's going to take quite a bit of back and forth to get there. And that's not where we imagine things will be you know, in the next six to 12 months. But we do imagine that over time, we will have a way to sort of do these transactions in a more standard fashion. I do think that the tax credit investment side is quite different from the PPA side because PPA is more of an energy procurement side, whereas we're focused on the how do you get the financing for the project? And so where we will expand from here is how do you guarantee to a project developer that somebody will buy their credit when the project is completed? How do you guarantee the pricing? How do you ensure that they can get access to construction loan or a bridge loan? And I think even moving towards like the tax credit insurance side, you know, how do you mitigate risk in a way that's cost effective for the developer? 
give us a sense of scale today. You guys just launched in 2022. You mentioned that the whole market today is around 20 billion annually in tax credit volume per year and may grow to upwards of 75, 80 billion a year by 2027, 2028, 2029, somewhere in there. What's the volume of credits that are available or floating through Reunion right now? Yeah. So we launched a marketplace for the tax credits in July with a billion dollars of near-term credits. And we're already at two and a half billion dollars worth of credits on the platform. And you know that represents well over six to seven billion dollars in project value. The two and a half billion really is the volume of the credits looking to be sold. And so, yeah, it's been fascinating to just see the level of interest from developers up and down the size spectrum. So all of the developers on our platform we've spoken to, and they tend to be very experienced, medium to large development companies. And I think there's a realization that there's just a shortage of tax equity. The tax equity market has shifted in a meaningful way in the last six to 12 months, where we're talking to developers where previously getting tax equity financing on you know, $150 million solar project was not a huge challenge, but it's become very challenging where we're seeing developers even put projects of that size onto our platform for transfer. Of the credits being bought and sold today, were they, the IRA is new, it's just kind of coming online, frankly, were they originated with this transferability in mind? Is that priced into the credits that are, were those transferability of credits priced into the project financing of these projects to begin with? That's a great question. No, most projects that are being placed into service in 2023 were being developed a year or more before that. So many of these projects that we are working on are ones where the project is nearly complete. They've already lined up the construction financing and they've already built the project. And so the projects do tend to be simpler in 2023 because we are mainly focused on helping the clean energy developer find a home for the tax credits and structure that and ensure it properly. When you get to 2024, 2025, you now have developers that are saying, I'm going to build a project that's going to come online in late 2024 or 2025. And I need a commitment today from a tax credit purchaser so I can take that agreement to the bank and get a bridge loan against it. So I think there's more complex derivative contracts that will be coming into play in 2024 and 2025, which we aim to be a part of as well. So to answer your question, yeah, in 2023, a lot of these projects are just ones that they were planning to get financing and they didn't, or they're ones where a developer owns the project, maybe on their balance sheet, and they're looking to finance it to raise money to build more projects. There's a variety of use cases for why developers are trying to transfer the credits. When you describe these credits as financial instruments that can have essentially immediate tax benefit to your, on your quarterly taxes for any given year and offset profits or tax liability and are fairly liquid, my brain immediately goes to hedge funds, energy trading desks, basically folks that are trying to use this as some form of cash flow arbitrage. I don't know if that's the right way to think about it or not, but what is the role that you play as a marketplace on sourcing the kinds of buyers in this system that are healthy for the ecosystem overall? So one important item is that the credit can only be sold once. Got it. So there's a retirement upon sale, essentially. Essentially. Yeah. Essentially, it's been transferred to a new taxpayer and they're using that and it's essentially theirs. So these credits will not be traded multiple times. So that's one important distinction. I think in terms of the universe of buyers, there are a lot of buyers that are looking at this from candidly a strictly financial lens. They see a good opportunity to reduce their tax payments, to reduce their effective tax rate. And that's very motivating to 
finance departments at certain companies. And I think the sustainability angle of it is in some ways a bonus. And I don't think that's a bad thing because I think really the intent of Congress here was to say, there's no way we're going to hit our energy transition goals if there's only a handful of banks that are doing the majority of clean energy financing. Like We really need to open this up and have a very broad group of corporate investors investing in these credits to finance projects. And what are you all looking for in running Reunion as signs that this pool of buyers is expanding? How are you sort of identifying these sort of interim KPIs to say, yeah, this message is getting out. We are attracting more folks looking into this. Yeah. We've signed about a dozen term sheets from buyers. So we do have early adopters that are ready to move today. And I think that's been a huge vote of confidence in the market that folks understand this, they're motivated, they want to get in on this in 2023. I think there's a larger pool. So we're talking to 60, 70 buyers that plan to do this for sure. But it's a question of when. At these large institutions, it's not a single, as you mentioned, it's not a single decision maker. Like Often they need to consult the treasurer and the accounting staff and the CFO. So there's a number of different stakeholders that need to sign off on this and to be educated on it. So I think that's going to take some time. But I think as we see more large transactions happen, as we see marquee names start to purchase these credits, we think it's really going to be a bit of a flywheel, the way that you saw in PPAs, really complex product. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have Google and Amazon and all the big tech companies purchasing PPAs. And, you know, we talked about solar and wind, obviously, but as you mentioned, this is, applies to battery tax credit, it applies to biogas tax credits, it applies to potentially even hydrogen and things coming out of 45Q. Do you all have a sense of how each of these markets are going to grow independently of one another? You don't have to share your secret sauce if you do, but I'm curious how you all are, are modeling out the market potentials of each of these individual clean energy provisions. Yeah, what's interesting is each of those different technologies almost is a bit of its own market, even though the credits are very similar in mechanism, because you have to understand what is the supply and demand of the buyers. Right now, there's a lot of interest in solar, wind, battery storage, because a lot of corporate buyers understand those technologies. They've interacted with them before. So when you talk about biogas, there's some buyers that are very interested, but the pool is a little bit smaller. And so as a result, you know, there's a little bit less demand. And so the yield or the discount that would be demanded is just a little bit larger. As you get to these very new technologies, such as hydrogen or carbon capture, it remains to be seen. The majority of projects that we're dealing with right now are solar, wind, battery, and biogas. And, but we're very interested in these other technologies as well. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see what level of buyer demand materializes there and what price they're willing to pay. And for you all at Reunion, you know, you announced your own financing in late 2022. Share a little bit more about that. Yeah, we raised $3 million in January 2023. And that was led by Segway Sustainable Infrastructure, which they're longtime colleagues of ours that are just real experts at providing development capital to developers. And so that's been great in getting the flywheel started. I mean, we've been in conversation with close to 400 plus developers. And so we've had a lot of conversations on the development side. And so, um, so that's been very exciting. We also have about a dozen great entrepreneurs and, and CEOs on our cap table as well. And from a business model perspective, are you all, is it a SaaS company? Are you charging a transaction fee? What's the engagement model look like for you? We are focused on a transaction fee, which really motivates us to get these deals closed. The way we view ourselves is a tech-enabled finance platform. We're really a financing company at our heart. And I think a lot of the challenges and a lot of the hard work in these early days is really how do you put together the financings the proper way 
with the right documentation, the right structure, the right risk mitigation. And that's where we have a lot of expertise. We think technology will make the business very interesting though, because once we have the volume of transactions coming on the platform, we can use all of that data to then develop additional data-driven financial products, such as connecting developers to other sources of lending, making the market and guaranteeing the price for these tax credit sales, and even going into insurance. And who do you want to hear from right now? As folks are listening to this, they're interested in what you're doing. What are the kinds of introductions that are most helpful to the work you're doing at Reunion? So our team is growing. And so we're always looking for folks who are passionate about climate and who have experience sort of selling into large enterprises, particularly on the finance side. So would love to, you can take a look at our jobs page, but we're always recruiting and looking to grow the team with great people. So that's number one. And then I think second, we're always looking to expand our conversations, especially with large corporations or medium-sized corporations that are interested in supporting clean energy while generating a really great return. So if there's corporate finance professionals listening that find this interesting and want to be part of the energy transition, please get in touch. Andy, I came into this conversation only knowing what I know about tax credits. And so I'm sure there are questions I should have asked or could have asked that I did not ask. What should we have covered or what points should we have tried to make sure people leave fully appreciating? I think that this is a completely new market that was created pretty much overnight. And it's hard to understate how impactful a simpler financing process will be, both for project developers, as well as getting more corporate investors involved in clean energy finance. I think what gets us really excited is today in 2023, a lot of buyers are fairly conservative and you know they want to work on a very large and straightforward transaction still. So a $20 million credit transfer, $40 million credit transfer. But we do want to use technology to get to enabling all of these smaller projects. Like there's many one megawatt projects on commercial rooftops that absolutely should be financed, but they've always struggled to attract financing because it's too complicated. The financing process is just too convoluted. And so we're very excited about enabling even the smallest projects to get financing. Back of the envelope math says if you're expecting this market to be 75 to 80 billion by 2027, 28, and the tax credits are somewhere between 30 to 50% of the total project, doesn't take a ton of math to say, wow, we're talking probably 150 billion to $200 billion in project volume that these tax credits are coming off of. Does that, am I, am I doing the math right there? Yeah, that's right. 80 to $100 billion is the credit volume. So the, the actual project volume is, is two to three times higher than that. Well, Andy, thanks so much for joining us today on My Climate Journey. I appreciate learning from you and hopefully our listeners do too. Thanks, Cody. Appreciate it. Thanks again for joining us on the My Climate Journey podcast. At MCJ Collective, we're all about powering collective innovation for climate solutions by breaking down silos and unleashing problem-solving capacity. If you'd like to learn more about MCJ Collective, visit us at mcjcollective.com. And if you have a guest suggestion, let us know that via Twitter at mcjpod. For weekly climate op-eds, jobs, community events, and investment announcements from our MCJ Venture Funds, be sure to subscribe to our newsletter on our website. Thanks, and see you next episode. Thanks.